Welcome to Oppenheimer's Let's Talk Future podcast. In this format, we bring you timely and relevant conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Join us as we explore new ways of thinking about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. In this episode, our guest is Matt Russell, Managing Director of Technology Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. Our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on February 17, 2021. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to click on the subscribe button. We're here to talk about a threat relevant to investors, companies, and governments, an enemy that can attack from any direction, silently and lethally, often invited in by its victims. Like COVID-19 and massive super spreader events, this menace can invade huge swaths of the population and inflict its damage while hiding undetected. This virus derives not from nature, but from human ingenuity and is a consequence of our digitized and interconnected global economy. Of course, we're talking about cyber threats and cybersecurity. And happily, the same human ingenuity I just referenced is creating fixes and creating new markets and significant investment opportunities. So welcome to our episode called Cybersecurity and the Digital Arms Race. We'll talk about the advances in technology that got us here, the perpetrators of attacks like solar winds and the means that they use. Crucially, we'll talk about the players that are creating solutions and new markets. And finally, as always, we'll talk future and identify some areas of investment opportunity looking ahead. Our guest today is Matt Russell, Managing Director in Technology Investment Banking here at Oppenheimer. Matt has over 20 years experience in software and security software. He's advised a diverse pool of companies ranging from large players like IBM, HP, Microsoft, McAfee, Akamai, and others, as well as many private companies. And I know for a fact that he's actually negotiated with the NSA to get a deal done, which is kind of cool. He earned his MBA from MIT. He works in our Boston hub, where he's also a dad and a new dog owner. So with all of that, welcome, Matt. Thanks, Jane. I'm excited to be here today. Great. Again, I wish we could do it in person. We're here on Zoom, but this is the world in which we live. Okay, let's start with some basics. The SolarWinds hack has been called the largest and most sophisticated attack the world has ever seen. They used an upgrade for SolarWinds software, and then the attackers gained access to thousands of companies, the U.S. Treasury, the Department of Justice, and other government agencies. So maybe you could help us take a step back and talk about how we got here. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, first, at the most basic level, um, companies like SolarWinds today electronically distribute new versions uh, of their software. The most basic way to think about that is, you know, the updates that we all receive on a regular basis um, on our iPhones. So once so the SolarWinds software had been hacked, and they sent that electronic distribution out. Um, it reached into thousands of thousands of customers. I think at a much higher level, 
um, you know, what happened here is we just live in a much more connected world than we ever have. Pervasive use of the internet, cloud applications, you know, people are using multiple devices uh, from multiple locations, you know, many times outside of the office, um, outside of the office in remote locations. Where we once had a very clearly defined network perimeter, we went into the office, we logged into our computer, we used software that was located on servers um, that we owned. That has all changed um, very, very dramatically. Today, we find ourselves using cloud-based apps like Salesforce um, and payroll applications. You know, from a personal standpoint, we file our uh, taxes electronically. We may even pay our tax bills by going onto our, uh, our bank account uh, online to pay that. We buy groceries and clothes and airlines tickets over the internet. Even our kids, you know, are submitting their papers through Google Classroom. The analogy mm -hmm. I like to use is like a parent throwing a child into the pool to learn how to <laughs> swim. We've been forced to work and learn and consume ways that I think even a year ago would have been hard to, uh, hard to fathom. Um, and technology has enabled that. But as we use that technology, uh, we need to have uh, the infrastructure and the security, you know, that allows us to use it, uh, use it effectively. Right. And kind of extending that point, let's move to the players here that we're talking about. And let's start with the bad guys. Can you talk about the various perpetrators and the means that they're using and help us understand yeah, I, I think about I think about it as, as two sets of, of bad actors um, with slightly different motives. One are sophisticated state actors, and I think you know the hack of SolarWind um, is probably the best example uh, of that. You know, in that case, it's been estimated that they had over a thousand engineers working on that. And look, I think the primary goal there is to to spy, um, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what sophisticated state actors have done for a long period of time. Um, this is just a new way to do it. And again, you know, the pervasiveness of the internet in the cloud enables them to do that through, uh, you know, through companies like SolarWinds when they're able to hack them. You know, the second sort of bad actors are, are what I would describe as organized crime and other individuals who have some sort of profit motive, right? So an example of that might be Target. Uh, as you might recall, there was a hack of Target where they were able to steal nearly 40 million credit card numbers. They then would have taken those right. credit card numbers um, and sold them on the open market. You know, other examples of profit motive are ransomware. You know, in the WannaCry hack of 2017, you know, approximately 200,000 computers um, were hacked and locked. In order to unlock that computer, a computer, you had to pay a ransom to get it unlocked. So those are kind of the two big um, buckets of bad actors that we see. And, you know, when you talk about that, combining the threat and the bad actors, some of the things that have come in the press of late um, are infrastructure attacks, our water supply, our utilities, all of which are connected now electronically. Um, so that's another whole new layer of risk, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if the I think attack that we saw in Florida where they were trying to deal with the water supply is a good example of that. I think, you know, governments, companies, utilities, uh, you know, everybody is using more software uh, to kind of con control their businesses. I mean, there are even examples of it in the home, right, where we can have thermostats that we can use from the Internet. We see that in a car where, you know, I can uh, remotely start my car from my telephone. So, 
you know, software is being used in a pervasive manner, but uh, that obviously opens up, you know, risk. In the case of, you know, what we saw happen in Florida, one would suspect that that's more of a, you know, terror type organization, um, you know, not necessarily a, a state actor or, or organized crime, but someone that is really looking you know, to do to do harm. Well, now that we've set the table with all sorts of spooky things, let's talk about the good guys. Let's talk about, you know, what you're seeing in terms of the methods of protection. Who are the players here who are trying to prevent these attacks? I think there are two two big buckets of organizations. One, obviously, governments around the world, right? You mentioned the NSA before, which is a big player here in the U.S. DHS uh, or the Department of Homeland Security is also a big player here in the U.S., you know, there was a Cybersecurity Act passed in 2018 that created the cybersecurity and infrastructure specifically focused on building out the capacity to defend the U.S. against cyber attack. You know, and governments all over the world, I think, have, um, you know, similar type, you know, organizations. So I think that, you know, governments are obviously a big hand in that and, and the funding that goes into these government entities, you know, is very important. And then I think the other component are, you know, private companies. And there's been a huge amount of of private capital going into security and privacy companies over the last 10 years. You know, by my estimate, it's been $50 billion into 7,500, you know, security and privacy companies. You know, we've also seen over 20 IPOs get done in the last 10 years, um, companies that now have an, a market cap and aggregate over 250 billion. So we have a, a massive amount of new company formation, but also along with that, there's the natural creative destruction that you see uh, that goes along with that. But the private companies are are highly sophisticated, and you know, two examples of that are are CrowdStrike, which is a cloud-based um, cybersecurity company, discovered the hack uh, of the DNC in 2016, and then most recently with the uh, with the SolarWinds hack that was discovered by. FireEye, which is another publicly listed um, security company. Can we stay on that for a second? Because I thought that was fascinating with FireEye and how this was detected. Can you talk about that? So in the case of FireEye, they had an employee who uh, was logging into their computer and this employee um, was using multi-factor authentication. So literally the employee would get a number that would pop up on an application on their cell phone they would type that number into uh, the computer, which would provide them access in addition uh, to their login credentials. And when that was happening, um, what got noticed by the FireEye uh, organization was that that employee had registered a second uh, cell phone, which was unusual. And on the back of that, um, decided to you know investigate it. At the most basic level, they called the employee and asked them if they had registered a second cell phone. That employee said no, um, and you know once that was the case, they dug further. That's how they discovered this hack. Yeah, and and that's a big part of this as well, from what I understand, is is the human component and you know changing our passwords and human beings being the source of of finding a lot of this stuff. And I think that might be a good place for us to move to talk about some of the prevention, some of the changes in, in technology and software that have come up. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I, so I, I think in the first instance, uh, you know, we're starting to see uh, native, a huge number of uh, what I refer to as, you know, native cloud companies. These are companies that are built to host their software in the cloud, you know, they're consumed by uh, companies that they sell to from, you know, from the cloud. And 
you know, an example of this may be someone like CrowdStrike, right? Where um, all of their software is centrally hosted. The only piece of software that would sit within the organization, you know, is a very, very small, what they consider a lightweight agent that would collect data off these devices that gets back, sent back to a central location um, and get, gets analyzed. So natively cloud, native cloud-based businesses is probably one of the biggest um, you know, developments that we've seen you know, mm -hmm. over the last several years. So that's so one. You know, I, I think the other sort of big trend is you know, data analysis. I, I think with the cloud, you know, we now have access to just massive amounts of, of data. Um, you know, amounts of data that, that I don't think we could have fathomed even 10 years ago. So alongside that, we've got machine learning and artificial intelligence. And, you know, a lot of that comes down to analyzing that data and coming up with anomaly detection um, to figure out where there are things happening that you wouldn't expect to happen to be able to recognize a threat. Anomaly detection, that makes sense. Now, who are the players there? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good question. The other thing that we've seen in the security software space is I, I think we've gone from a number of sub-verticals to a large number of, uh, of sub-verticals. So you were talking about the human element before. Security awareness training is a area that has seen a lot of development. By some estimates, you know, 90% of threats have some form of human involvement. One of the leading players in that space is, is no before. Um, you know, another segment, we're starting to see more activity in is micro segmentation. You know, that's breaking down workloads, computing workloads down into their smallest pieces. So if there's a hack of that workload, you can protect the rest of the network. You know, there's a company in that space called Illumio, which is raised over $300 million. You know, we talked about one of the endpoint players before, which is CrowdStrike, but you know, there are a large number of other new companies in that space. Sentinel One and Cyber Reason. Identity is a big area of, of focus. You know, at the very basic level, that's passwords and all the technologies associated with it. Um, but you know, trying to figure out who is using, you know, the network. And there are companies like CyberArk and SailPoint and you know, and Fortrock. And and then another big category is what I would refer to as managed detection and response. This is more of a uh, of a service, right? And I think one of the things that we're seeing in the cybersecurity landscape is is one, there's a real lack of qualified professionals. So if you're a company and you want to bring in house security expertise, it's hard to find the professionals to to do that. So in their place, we've seen a lot of services company who will provide you th those services on an outsourced basis. And again, it does you two things provides you access with those individuals, but it also provides you with a much greater level of expertise than you could hope to um, get by, you know, employing individuals to do it for you. Sure. And, and you briefly mentioned, you know, some companies that have been successful in raising impressive amounts of capital. Let's talk about that a little bit. It seems like the capital markets have been pretty kind toward this space. I know there was a lot of, you know, VC investment that has done quite well. Do you want to give us a couple minutes on your sense of the capital markets and your companies? And we've seen a bunch of the big players transforming in the recent past. Let's spend a few minutes on that. Absolutely. One, we're going to continue to see private investment, right? So we'll see, you know, continued investment 
from, you know, venture capital type players. And that, you know, those tend to be early rounds. But I think the other component, you know, that we're seeing in the market is we're seeing very large late stage private investments. Private companies have been staying private longer and not tapping the IPO market as quickly. Mm -hmm. And they've been turning to large institutions institutional investors to, to get capital. So just over the course of the, the recent months, we sent one raise 150 million. We saw a company called Arctic Wolf raise 200 million. Wow. We saw another company called Lacework raise, you know, 525 million. So, you know, wow. the numbers here can be extremely, extremely large. You mentioned the IPO market, as, as I said before, I mean, we've seen 20 odd IPOs plus IPOs over the last 10 years and we continue, you know, we, we expect to continue to see a very robust um, IPO market for security software companies and, and quite frankly, software companies, um, you know, in, in general. Um, M&A is a big area as well. Um, I'm, I was counting just in the last week, we've seen eight meaningful deals uh, in the cybersecurity space. Um, you know, there are several companies um, that are transforming themselves through M&A. I mean, Palo Alto Networks, um, is a firewall provider that's been around for um, you know a long time, and they've acquired nine companies just in the last you know two years. So using acquisition to deal with the new computing environment that we're in and the new threat environment that we're in. And then you know the last thing I'd mention is obviously with any fast moving market, you get an element of creative destruction, which will lead to restructuring of businesses, right? So. You know, four of the companies that have gone public since 2010 have gone private through private equity. And then if you go back 10 or 15 years, two of the biggest players um, in security software were McAfee and Symantec. And both of those companies have gone through what I consider massive transformations. In the case of McAfee, it was acquired by Intel in 2010. It was then bought out of Intel by private equity in 2017 and went public mm -hmm. again in 2020. The other player, Symantec, it sold its enterprise business to, to Broadcom and then renamed its consumer business, uh, Norton LifeLock. So, you know, I would expect to continue to see that type of activity as well. Absolutely. Well, I think we are at the point where we are tasked to talk future. And, you know, the point of these podcasts is to try to use your expertise to look down the road ahead and see where investors are focusing, where do we think we'll continue to see areas of innovation so I'd love to hear your thoughts on those. Yeah, I think, look, cybersecurity tends to be a game of whack-a-mole that's being played. You know, once you wet something down, there's another one that pops up, right? So I think mm -hmm. the expectation is you're going to continue to see, you know, innovation and, you know, massive amounts of, of dollars being spent. I mean, IDC said there was $125 billion spent on security-related hardware, software, and services in 2020. The expectation is that number will grow over the next several years by 8% annually. But within a number that large, there'll be some companies that grow a lot less than 8%. And there'll be, you know, some companies that grow a lot more than 8%. So, you know, the expectation is, is that this is going to continue to be, you know, a, a very fruitful area. And look, COVID has only accelerated this, right? The, the movement toward um, digital transformation was already happening before COVID. 
it was accelerated with COVID, but you know, we need to have both the infrastructure and the security that enables us to work, learn, and consume you know, using these technologies? Well, I think in a whack-a-mole world of ever more sophisticated threats, we certainly appreciate your expertise on these topics. So thank you so much for your time today. This was a very informative session. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. Don't miss the next episode of Let's Talk Future as we explore a variety of topics important to every kind of investor by bringing our firm's financial thought leaders directly to you. Hit the subscribe button today.